We're going through a series as a church on the book of Philippians. Philippians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to people who lived rather snappily in a place called Philippi, which is why it's called Philippians. I'm going to read a small passage to you, and then I'm going to do a bit of confession, and then we'll go on to, to the sermon. So I'm reading from Philippians 4, 1 to 9, and I'll be preaching from the last two verses in this passage, but sometimes it helps to have a bit of context. So Paul writes to this church in Philippi, therefore my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Confession. I always love being invited to preach, from what I remember. And, <clears throat> and you, so you get the excitement, it's the email. And then I looked at the passage, and my confession is, this has to be probably my least popular Bible passage. To be honest, I'd rather preach on the numbers list of names than this passage. And I want to share with you my problem uh, so that I ruin it for you as well. Uh, and then also perhaps maybe explain what Paul was talking about. You see, my problem is Paul seems to be saying as a sort of almost a climax of the whole gospel, he's been through amazing things. Think about Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. He's building to a climax and the climax is, I think, happy thoughts. I kind of feel myself sometimes when I read it in my mind, I go, um, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I simply remember my favorite things and then I don't feel so bad. <laughs> and this is my problem. In the middle of my devotional times, Julie Andrews appears. <laughs> it's a problem to me. So I had to do some work. It feels to me, to use another context, that Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, keep calm and carry on. It's like, Paul, you're in prison. It doesn't cut it. You could be about to die. How can think happy thoughts be the best that you can come up with? So I had to dig. So I've dug, I've read, 
And uh, this is kind of my attempt to explain what the passage is about. Now, I need you to imagine. Okay, you're good at imagining. So rather than Paul giving this list, I want to give you a list of the ideal basketball player. The ideal basketball player is fit. The ideal basketball player is tall. The ideal basketball player is athletic. The ideal basketball player has a sporting mind, has trained, has exercised. What you have learned and received from me, practice these things. If I were to compare myself with the ideal basketball player, to be honest, you would say there was a big difference. The kindest of you might say, well, actually, you're too small for cool. What Paul is doing is taking a description of the ideal Roman. The list that we have here, that kind of list was not just a work of Paul, but those lists were out there. What would a good Roman look like? Some of you remember at school, if you went to those kind of schools, there was a famous poem by a man called Rudyard Kipling. And he did a poem about the ideal Englishman. And from time to time, cultures produce a list of properties. And what Paul rather cleverly does is takes a list, this list of ideal Roman qualities, and then he turns it on his head and says, now, what you have learned from me, think about these things. You see, Paul understood that he was a citizen of heaven. The Philippians were citizens of Rome. They didn't live in Rome, but Philippi was called Little Rome. They understood what it was to live as people whose identity didn't come from where they lived, but from another place. He said, okay, guys, you've got that. Now, I want to teach you to live as citizens of heaven. You're not in heaven right now, but you are currently citizens of heaven I'm going to teach you to think like citizens of heaven so that you might be the people of God. I am a citizen of heaven. Look at what I did amongst you. Learn of me and practice these things. So when we look at the list, we're going to look at what the Romans would have understood briefly. I'm going to turn it on its head and say, now, this is how a citizen of heaven thinks. truth the first in the list is true we want to learn whatever things are true now the romans were an external culture a lot of cultures are external our culture is very external we're kind of defined by more and more profile when i was growing up profile meant that when you drew somebody you drew them from the side if they had a big nose that was their profile but now we live in a world which is incredibly external profile, identity, is all something that you put out there to show who you are. It's impossible to go for a meal now and enjoy it if you haven't then put an image of that meal up on, the, on some kind of media. We went to Ephesus. Ephesus is an amazing place. Uh, it's full of old ruins. Look at me and kind of imagine what that might be like. And... Um, 
But it was full of people amongst these amazing architectural buildings, taking pictures of themselves. Now, as, a, as a person, it seems strange to me. It's an external age that we live in. Rome was an external age. And truth, for the Romans, was external. The ideal Roman was upright. It was important to do the right thing and be seen to be doing it. It wasn't just about silently, quietly doing the right thing. You had to be seen to be doing the right thing. Externally, it mattered. Actually, what you did in the secrecy of your own life did not matter. But you had to be seen to be doing the right thing. Paul takes this and says, now, as citizens of heaven, it's not primarily about the external. Because transformation, your story, if you are a Christian, if you are a citizen of heaven, did not begin with an external change. It began with an internal change as God dwelt in you. I go to a men's breakfast once a month at the Sidcup Centre. And it's one of the most uplifting amazing things that I'm part of. We get to eat bacon, which possibly means I enjoy it too much. But week by, uh, month by month, somebody shares. It's people from our new community church over the three venues. And regularly, guys share what's happening in their lives. It's quite a unique place, because so often men do not give away what's happening. It's not manly to give away. And uh, one of our our guys from Sidcup stood up and he said, actually, I'm struggling at the moment with stress and anger. That's ever so brave. Because we might think less of you now, but actually it released us into saying, this is real. For Paul, truth is the opposite of fake. And as he began to share, we sat munching our bacon. When we finished munching our bacon, we began to pray for one another. Guys, I have a problem in this area. You see, Paul talks about temptation and speaks of saying, not a single temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It's not that a few of you here struggle with temptation. That's our condition. We are in a battle If we live in an external mind, then you will sit there, all of you, looking very, very godly. And I don't know your situation. I can stand up here and say, yeah, he's a preacher. He must be fine. I struggle. The reality is that I am saved, but I struggle. The genuine says, I am a work of God. And there are things that I do that I need help with. Will you pray for me? It's not about external. Truth is the genuine saying, I want to be more like Jesus. Will you pray for me? This is my battle. Does anyone here know what your battles are? Next word is honourable. It's used in the, the, Greek, the Greek word. You need to be aware that um, the Greeks seem to love words. So it's not like they had one word for honourable. They had loads and loads of words for honourable. And this particular honourable word was used to describe 
temples and things that came from temples. The nearest I can come up with is kind of, it's a Sunday best type of word. Do you still guys? <laughs> mm. um, <clears throat> growing up, we used to have Sunday best. We used to uh, put on smart clothes. It was very important. You went to church and you wanted to look the part. It's that kind of word. Yeah, they are respectable. Romans wanted to be honoured. They wanted to be respected. And the opposite of honour is to despise. Now, Paul understands that we are the temple of God. We're not some building. He said, you are the temple of God. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. We are being made into a temple that represents what heaven is going to be like. God has begun to create diversity among us. When I say begun, because I really don't feel we're there yet. But remember some time ago, Tunde had a prophecy that's been so defining for us as a people that we were going to be like Joseph's multicolored coat, that by the very varieties of color and age and background it will be something that stands out as the favor of God in the same way that Joseph's multicolored coat showed the favor of his father but being in the same room as people who look different to you is not sufficient it's not enough of honor it goes deeper than that see we have to work at valuing one another it's okay to be in the same room but no no we have to value one another. I want to just be a little bit controversial here. Some of you were at the same conference that I was, and I, I kind of developed this sort of uh, like a, a record that kept sort of one repeating the same line. You see, what God's going to do with us before too long is you're going to have people standing up here who many of you are going to struggle to understand. Now, some of you are going, yeah, we know what that's like. Every week, people stand up at the front and they don't speak like I speak. It's going to happen that people are going to stand up here and we're going to have to listen carefully. It may be because as God brings people amongst us that we're going to have to listen to sermons by translation. But it's also going to happen that we're talking to one another just now or in the coffee and um, we're going to have to get good at saying I'm sorry, I didn't catch what you said. Now, in, in my world, I can say that once. It's kind of, okay, you know, yes, you're allowed not to hear something the first time. Afterwards, I've got no, no protocol. What do you do? I don't know what you do when you haven't heard. So you nod, <laughs> hoping that what the person said deserves a nod, saying, you look awful today. We're going to have to push past this. We're going to have to push past the apparent politeness and say, guys, I value you so much what you say. Will you let me ask you to say that again? And will you let me say it? Will you say it again? Will you have mercy on my very English ears? And let me say to you, I'm sorry. I'm tuning my ears. Let's work at this. Otherwise, we're going to be a room full of people 
who after one, I didn't quite catch that, are going to nod. We honour one another. We work at this at the expense of our comfort, at the expense of our embarrassment. Because God is building a temple. We learn from Paul about just. Now, in the sense here, again, so many Greek words, but just here isn't particularly about the ruling of the courts. It's about conformity. A just person, using that Greek word, was somebody who fulfilled their obligations to God and man. Again, it's a very external word. Roman virtue was an independent achievement. If you were virtuous, you deserve praise because that's something that you had done for yourself. Citizens of heaven know that they left to themselves, they have no virtue. See, the scary thing is you can come here week after week and sing our songs. You can come here week after week and read your Bible. Come here week after week and be involved in kids' work and all sorts of things. It's even possible you can stand up here. These are all externals. The difference between the citizen of heaven and the rest of the world is we understand that left to ourselves, we are incapable of pleasing God. We're not just in that sense. We're not righteous we're not good people talk about the church as being hypocritical because people do unhelpful things well of course they do left to themselves that's what they're going to be like but God has begun a work in us see for Paul he said um, to be found this is Philippians 3 9 I want to be found in Jesus not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that comes through faith in Christ The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And I need to ask you, what are you trusting in? See, if 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 you're trusting in being here, all you've achieved by being here is experiencing welling. And that's a very worthwhile thing. It doesn't make you right with God. I do not want to one day have a conversation with you where you say to me, Why didn't you tell me the consequences of continuing to reject God's offer? Why didn't you press the point? Why did you not say to me that while it is time, take action? Because one day, there won't be time. One day, God is going to judge. Can I beg you that if you do not know that God has declared you right because of the work of Jesus, today could be an important day for you. Next word is the word pure, kind of carrying on really. But again, purity in this context is about being ritually clean. The same word would also be used about fulfilling a civic responsibility. The mayor could be pure if he carried, I don't actually know whether they had mayors, but if they did, Uh, And he did a good job. The same Greek word pure would be used. It was measurable. Citizens of heaven understand that issues of purity 
are not measurable because it's an internal thing. I can look the part. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. He's talking to Christians. He's not saying again, people who don't know God, you need to become pure, because you can't become pure. But he's speaking to those who have been forgiven, in whom God dwells. And he says, you have work to do. You have to cleanse yourself. But I thought Jesus cleansed me from all sin. Yes, he did. The record of my sin has been wiped away. But Paul also says, now, cleanse ourselves. Cleanse yourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. At the Feast of Passover, the Jews every year would have a feast. And part of, because the, the, the commandment was, have nothing made with yeast in the family, the Jewish, particularly Jewish housewives, would go into massive spring cleaning role. It wasn't just, I'm going to check the bread bin to make sure there's no bread in there. That would be easy. But what if somebody had dropped a crumb? under the sofa. Again, I'm not certainly sure that they had lots of sofas, but whatever they had for sitting on, there could have been a crumb underneath. So they'd have to move the furniture. They'd have to check under the mats. They were careful to cleanse their house from anything made of yeast. How careful are we with our purity? I'm forgiven. Yes, you are. Cleanse yourselves from everything that defiles. It's not two things, but because you are forgiven, cleanse yourself. There is so much ability, opportunity for secret impurity today. The sad truth is, we all battle in some areas. There's kind of respectable things and less respectable I want to say to you that pornography is a problem for many, but I don't want to set pornography as the, that is the sign of impurity. Overeating is a sign of impurity. Giving in to your appetite. It's not there are acceptable appetites and there are unacceptable ones. Are you pure? I'm forgiven, yes, but are you pure? Am I pure? Our impurity can be forgiven, but we are not to tolerate it. I want to know who's fighting your battles with you. Just recently, I've become meeting with somebody, and it's been so helpful just to share with him. There's an area of temptation. I have a feeling that after this sermon, he's going to come up to me and say, you know that conversation we had, how are you doing? So watch for people who queuing up to speak to me afterwards. It won't be saying, I've got a problem. It's a whole row of people saying, how are you doing with your problem? There are thought processes that lead to impurity. It doesn't usually happen just like that. My weak point is when I'm tired. Often from having done good things, I'm going to be at risk tonight. 
I get into entitlement thinking. Anybody else suffer from that? Or, no, is suffering. Anybody else enjoy that? But that would be totally the wrong thing. Um, where you think, I've been doing God good things. And you kind of begin to treat God as your employer and think, I deserve a break. Anybody else? Please nod. Yeah. Because that's where we're dangerous. I've been working hard all day. I've been doing amazing things. I'm so tired. Let's just turn on the television and I'm going to channel skip. Oh, that's interesting. Or I'm going to eat too much. Rest is good, but it can be a battleground. Is your love for God pure? Or do you feel that you've given God? I've given you a lot, God. This is me time. That's where impurity happens. Who's fighting for you? Who's fighting your battle with you? I want to be praying for tonight. I'm not joking. Preaching wears me out. <laughs> Tires you like out as well, probably. But it, it, it wears me out. Will you pray for me? Because I could find something to read. Again, reading is great. Nobody even knows what you're reading. It's not externally impure. What about your thought life? Let's battle for one another. Let's be so committed to being citizens of heaven that we say, guys, can you, can you fight with me my battle? Let's learn about Paul from Lovely. Again, this word is not found anywhere else. The particular Greek word is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. It means to cause pleasure or delight. Rome was full of beautiful things. It was an important thing. We are civilized. We have statues. We have amazing architecture. We have all sorts of things. What do citizens of heaven think about lovely? Well, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He's lovely. Paul isn't saying going to heaven is going to be better because I'll be out of prison and I'll be out of pain and out of difficulty. No, heaven is going to be better because I get to see him. Paul wrote in another letter, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then we shall see face to face. He's made it his business to find the person of God, the most lovely thing. There's a man, British man, well, it wasn't. He lived in Britain, he was German. It's a temptation to go back to football at this point, but um, he was German. And obviously at the moment, Germans need to learn how to be happy. And, uh, but this particular German, he was an amazing man. He raised about 200 years ago over his lifetime, by faith, one and a half million pounds. His name was George Muller. And he wrote this. While I was staying at Nailsworth, I have no idea where Nailsworth is, it pleased the Lord to teach me a truth, irrespective of human instrumentality. 
as far as I know, the benefit of which I have not lost, though now, while preparing the eighth edition for the press, more than 40 years have since passed away. The point is this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit believers. I might seek to relieve the distressed. I might in other ways seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world. And yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all this might not be attended to in a right spirit. He goes on. This is my business. You see, sensation feelings for God are a bad measure of his worth. If he was leading us in prayer, in worship today about the love of God. I go through hard things, and in the hard things, I encounter the love of God. But it requires work. The love of God is not just some tap that we turn on and, oh, I feel loved. But we have to work at it. You might say to me, God feels far away. There are times that he will. It is a normal Christian experience to feel far from God because our feelings aren't reliable. I'm told that runners don't feel like running when practicing for a marathon. But we don't think it's strange that they continue to run. Why then would it be strange for us to say, I am going to set before my spirit the good things of God. I am going to remember who he is like. So I read my Bible, whether I feel like it or not. I will sing or listen to worship songs. I will go back. I journal. I recommend journaling because it it means you can go back to the anniversary. You kind of have to do it for more than a year. It's not so effective until then. But you can go back. What did I write a year ago? And I go back, yeah. I remind myself and say to my soul, rejoice in the Lord. Paul wrote that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And I want to know him. I want to know him. The Holy Spirit reveals God to us. God, the joy of heaven. I may not get through all these points. So which one shall we skip? Because they are all so awesome. Let's do one more. Commendable. The word commendable, is again, is not found anywhere else in the New Testament or the Bible. Sometimes Bibles translate it as commendable, admirable, or praiseworthy. In the, some of you will know about the old authorised version. Uh, it uses the word good report, whatever is of good report. As citizens of heaven, we are called to judge things by their future and not by their past. Let me explain this fairly briefly. Paul has already written to the Philippians saying, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. The Bible teaches we will receive a resurrection body like the Lord Jesus. If we could see the resurrection body of the weakest Christian in all of history, 
we will be in danger of idolatry because we would want to bow down to it. Your future is extraordinary. But therefore, we have to treat one another according to our future. God has begun a good work in you. It means that from time to time, we are going to upset each other. And at this point, we have a choice. I could relate to you according to your history. Or I can relate to you according to your future. If I relate to you according to your history and you upset me, That becomes a defining thing, and I'm going to distance myself from you in a peculiarly English way. But we can't do that. Whatever is commendable is that each of us, through no virtue of our own, have had the work of God begin in us, and he will bring it to completion. We must treat each other according to the future of what God is doing. Therefore, we are quick to forgive. Therefore, we are quick not to distance ourselves. But more than that, we also need to understand where we are. If a good report or is commendable, then we have to avoid a bad report. We're not called to a bad report. And as I was preparing this, I thought God reminded me of the story of the children of Israel. They had left Egypt They were in the wilderness and they were on the borders of the promised land. So they sent spies out to say, what's the promised land like? And they came back saying, the promised land is truly amazing. But the bad news is we will never get in there because the people in there are far too strong for us. And scripture records of them, they brought back a bad report. My experience of Welling is that they're not ready yet to receive the gospel of God. And you go out on the streets, they're not interested. Oh, bad report. No, no. God has placed us here. God has opened a door for us here so that we might preach the gospel. They don't seem to want to hear. God has opened a door. Which of those two truths am I going to live by? God has opened a door for us. God has things for our town that are glorious, and I want to give myself to it. God wants us to shape our lives by the way we think. We often talk about the word repentance. Repentance is not saying sorry. Repentance is changing the way that you think. God wants us, as New Community Welling, to think as citizens of heaven, towards ourselves, towards each other, towards the town and the opportunities God has for us. I want to pray for us. Father, I thank you that you have begun a good work in us. Lord, we want to think as citizens of heaven. We don't want to be shaped by the external loving world that we live in. Father, I pray where we need to take action, Will you cause us to take action? Lord, I just pray for those battles in the hidden place. Lord, we will be people who fight well in the hidden place because we understand our identity. We understand that you are the God who dwells in us. And I pray, Lord, will you build genuine diversity in this place? I thank you for the measure 
But Lord, there is so much further to go. Help us to go beyond into awkward land with each other and to press through because you are about a mighty work. Lord, I pray your blessing on the people here. Let them go in power. Let them go in love. Let them go in your strength, Lord. And let the world might see there is something here worthy of notice. Thank you, Lord. Amen.